0: Hello, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks, an audio travel guide aimed to inspire you and your family to visit America's national parks and help you get the most out of your park experience. This is your host, Danielle. This is episode number 19.6. This is the sixth episode in our series on Yosemite National Park. In this episode, I speak with two guests about their tips and recommendations for visiting Yosemite, including some highlights by season. First, I speak with Adonia Ripple from Yosemite Conservancy, the official nonprofit partner of Yosemite National Park. Then I speak with Lisa Cesaro from Yosemite Hospitality, the park concessionaire through Aramark, about their offerings. When you pick up the park newspaper upon entering the park, you will find all the programs available by the Park Service and its partners. If this is your first time tuning in, go back and listen to the other episodes in this Yosemite series, including our trip report, a conversation with park naturalist Eric Westerland, musician and historian Tom Bopp sings for us while recounting the 1903 camping trip with President Theodore Roosevelt and John Muir, and a wonderful conversation about Ansel Adams' legacy. Episode 19.5 features park ranger Shelton Johnson and his alter ego, Sergeant Eliza Bowman a Buffalo soldier in the 9th Cavalry in Yosemite. I received so many comments from listeners of this episode. I want to read a few of them for you here. One listener says, I was profoundly moved by Shelton's feelings about diversity in the National Park Service. Great job. And here's another one. My mother was black and she always talked about wanting to experience the Grand Canyon, but she never had the nerves to go or take me. She always felt more comfortable in cities, never really understanding why she might have felt that way until listening to Shelton. And here's one from Twitter follower, Public Land Lover. Such a powerful story. We need to dismantle the systems that prevent, discourage, and create barriers for people of color to experience our beloved public lands. Thank you, Everybody's National Parks, for the great interview. And here's one from Twitter follower, Jeff Bertka great interview. Shelton Johnson is a national treasure. You can tell he studied poetry because everything he says has a lyrical quality to it. I also love that he grew up in Detroit and is a University of Michigan grad. Thank you to everyone who shared their comments on this episode. You can share your comments with us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or email us at hello at everybody's nps.com. Now let's get to the conversation. Today, I'm here with Adonia Ripple, Director of Yosemite Operations at Yosemite Conservancy, a nonprofit partner of Yosemite National Park. Hi, Adonia. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. So, Adonia, you have uh, an interesting background. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump into talking about this incredible park today?
1: Yes. My life. Really began, I guess, when I when I fell in love with Yosemite. But my background, um, born and raised in California, but then it was really only sort of post college that I queued into the Sierra Nevada and all it had to offer, and took a job in 1997, which with what was then Yosemite Institute. And really easy to say the rest is history, Um, was working at the time as a mountain guide and as an environmental educator. And as all sort of life evolves and promotions evolve, you find yourself moving into positions of greater responsibility. And so it went out of the field and into the office, but still working on behalf of helping connect people to this national park and ensuring that They are oriented and educated and able to fall in love with this place like I have been able to.
0: How many years have you been at Yosemite working or spending your leisure time there pretty much your whole life?
1: Well, since 1997, in a very committed way, I moved up here in 1997. There were forays to to other lesser mountains and, and other lesser places, but this place has a huge magnet for me. So, Yeah, it's been home for over 20 years. (laughs) I have to say,
0: my kids, when we visited the park a few months ago, they were six and nine. They've since had birthdays. They both dream of being a park ranger someday. And when we visited Yosemite, they said, this is where I want to (laughs) be.
1: And I think that's just been such a neat part of working for Yosemite Conservancy, too. It's one of those places that, People feel pretty strongly about you know it's it's hard to feel kind of meh about Yosemite, of course, unless you've had a really kind of a turn off sort of visitor experience. The landscape itself is has so much gravity for people all over the world, and I do feel fortunate i've been able to find my niche here and and of course you know I'm working for the park's nonprofit partner, so there's other jobs outside of the government sector that people can enjoy here as well to create their homes here, so the conservancy itself is of course, the park's primary philanthropic partner. And we provide both grants for projects and programs within the park, but also with our staff provide a number of visitor education and enrichment services. So it's kind of a combination of supporting the park with donor raised money, as well as supporting the visitors and the park itself with our own staff and our own resources to bring education and enrichment to visitors.
0: For people who don't know, why does Yosemite need and parks in general? Why do they need non profit partners?
1: Philanthropy in public lands dates way way back, of course. And our organization's genesis was actually in 1923. We were the first organization to be an organization, not just individuals, giving philanthropically to public lands to build what was then the Yosemite Museum. This was the first time in the world that a group had done this. So our roots stretch way back and. And really, the need for the philanthropy is this place is really well-loved, and there's you know over 4 million visitors a year who come here. And as a partner organization, we're able to help those visitors see how they can be stewards of this place in addition to what the park is able to do. So it's it's a very popular destination, and of course, that has its consequences on the land often, on the trails, on the wildlife, and so... The funding we bring and the resources we bring really augment the Park Service's goals of protecting this place and ensuring that visitors have an enriching time.
0: Aside from enhancing the visitor experience, are there projects that Yosemite Conservancy does itself or just provides to the Park Service for to meet needs of the park?
1: Again, our mission is sort of twofold in that sense that we're providing services and education and we're also funding park service-based projects and programs. So we fund trail building and restoration. We we fund revegetation, um, removal of non-native species, restoration of meadows, restoration of the Mariposa Grove. We fund a bunch of wildlife research, um, a number of things related to youth programming that the Park Service implements. So it's it's really well-rounded, a lot of cultural resource projects. So essentially, the park comes to us with their priorities of the projects and programs that they want to implement, and then we provide grants For those essentially on an annual basis.
0: And I saw firsthand the restoration of Mariposa Grove and Ranger Lindsay Sweet, who took us on a guided walk there, explained to us what had been and what had been done. And uh, it was pretty remarkable and provided for a great experience.
1: It's so rare to get to really like turn back the hand of time. And I feel like that project very much accomplished that to really put the sequoias first and, and create just that it's a true restoration, you know, back to how I think we were also meant to experience that grove. I think now when you enter it, you really feel this like cathedral-like presence of the trees and without the kind of chaos and pavement that was in there before. And it, it really is a remarkable project that I think everyone should get a chance to check out.
0: Yeah. And to see those trees up close People listening to this have probably seen some of the iconic pictures of Yosemite, but maybe haven't gotten to visit yet and think about visiting. Can you give a description of the park and the different regions, entrances?
1: Yes, I'd be happy to. I think if Yosemite is in the heart of California, it lies within the Sierra Nevada Mountains, which are 400 miles long, but not very wide. And the park itself actually encompasses two major watersheds. Essentially, the boundary was drawn to protect both the Tuolumne River watershed in the north and the Merced River watershed in the south. So it forms kind of a nice little circle, really and the park has a real diversity of biomes and elevations that exist within it so the the boundary stretches everywhere from 2000 feet in elevation which is truly the sierra foothills where you have oak and manzanita and grasslands up to all, you know over 13000 feet so high alpine environment rock ice very little vegetation so you really um can experience a range of what we consider biomes or these different life zones when traveling in Yosemite National Park, I think that's part of what has kept me engaged all these years is there really is so much to explore in so many seasons of the year and I, I think as we get into talking about travel tips that's something for families to really consider that there really is an elevation and a season really any time of year that's worth your time to check out as far as the entrances there's essentially four, four entrances to the park. And the all-year entrance is considered Highway 140, which we, we say that is the west entrance coming up from Mariposa. There's an entrance from the north on Highway 120, which someone, say, coming from San Francisco or Northern California would travel in on. The entrance to the east that comes up out of Lee Vining, that road does close in the winter. So that's the most seasonal route, essentially. You can't actually drive through Yosemite in the winter. You can only enter from essentially the north west or south side. And the south entrance, if you have a map in front of you, um, comes up out of Oakhurst through Wawona. So there's four main access points. And again, sort of the the three that are mostly year-round are the the northwest and south. And then that eastern entrance is is really strictly a summer access point and, and really does make a lovely travel through paths to come from from west to east or north to east, especially in the summer months, if you're planning on points beyond in the deserts of of Nevada or Southern California.
0: So I am looking at a map. And so I believe we entered from Big Oak Flat entrance. Mm -hmm.
1: Highway 120. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: And Mm -hmm. we had hoped to do a detour to Hetch Hetchy before heading down into the valley. But just uh, time was not on our side and we decided to go straight into the valley. So we'll have to do that on another trip. And then I saw the south entrance when we were at Mariposa Grove. There was a line of cars <laughs> to get it. Yes. Yes. And then there's also Arch Rock entrance, and that's the Highway yes. 140 you mentioned. That's
1: Highway 140, yes. And I suppose there actually really are five entrances because to enter at Hetch Hetchy, of course, is another entrance. And I I tend to forget, honestly, about Hetch Hetchy, which no one should forget about Hetch Hetchy. It's an incredibly important part of Yosemite to see. It has a lot of wild land beyond the reservoir, of course, that was that was formed. It was a a valley akin to Yosemite Valley that was then dammed to provide water for the city of San Francisco. So it looks very different than Yosemite Valley, but it is very worth seeing. And especially in a conversation with your family about where does our water come from, because a lot of visitors, that's it, and and it's coming from that Tuolumne River watershed, which is makes up basically the whole northern part of the park.
0: Yeah, we talk about that with Tom Bopp, and we also talked about that. We interviewed Ken Burns. Uh, a few months ago. That's episode 13, if anyone wants to uh, go back and reference that. We talked about Hetch with him as well. Because of that and learning about the history, I really wanted to get there, but it'll be next time. (laughs) Shall we get into talking about the ideal amount of time to visit and maybe in different seasons what your suggested itineraries may be? Yeah,
1: that's such a hard question, honestly, especially because this place deserves a lifetime of attention, really. It it can hold a lifetime of attention. Um, But the reality is is a lot of families only have a weekend. They only have a Friday and Saturday night, and, and that's okay. I think the area I would dissuade people the most would be the day trip because it'd be trying to pack too much with too much driving and too many potential traffic barriers to actually have an enjoyable time But two or three nights, I would say, is a minimum for a family. But if all you have is one night, of course, you should still come. Ideal, of course, is the classic family vacation to be up here for an entire week. There is plenty to do. But I guess I would go with my, what is the minimum recommendation? And I would say two to three nights. And staying as proximal to the park as possible. There are wonderful gateway towns out of all of these entrances that have have great accommodations, of course, getting accommodations within Yosemite proper is challenging, and so not to be deterred if you end up staying in a gateway, but you do want to be sure and you know build in those travel times and I think you know my my headline tip, and as a parent myself, I will tell you it is entirely worth it is get them up so early, get into the park before eight a m if you 're coming in the summer, you will have a vastly different experience than someone who say is trying to show up at 10 o'clock. And I would even push it further to say you can experience solitude and sanctuary in incredibly popular places if you're willing to even enter the park at 6 or 7 a.m. in the summer, or stay late. Bring your picnic dinner. Don't rush out of the park in the evening. Watch the sunset from somewhere. You'll you'll find it empties out at this pretty profound level, even at 5 p.m. on a summer's night. And lo and behold, it's you and your family, mostly alone in some totally incredible place. So I guess my headline tip is kind of release time and start occupying those kind of sunrise and sunset hours because you really will find a certain spaciousness and freedom of movement that is pretty hard to find if you're traveling in the heart of summer. Of course, there's four amazing seasons up here, as I explained with those elevation ranges. They're sort of prime seasons in my eyes to sort of be in each of those elevations. I guess if we can start with spring, I think when people picture Yosemite Valley, a lot of the pictures they see, it's the springtime. It's when the dogwoods are blooming and wow, the water, the sound of the water moving off those cliffs. Of course, you have these magnificent tall waterfalls. You have the Merced River that's raging. Yosemite Valley in the springtime is breathtaking, especially in the sort of pre-Memorial Day, sort of late April Memorial Day time. Often then the meadows will have greened and you've got this just truly world-class, spectacular falling water off those cliffs. So that that I would say as far as springtime of year, um, target Yosemite Valley.
0: Well, that sounds beautiful. And we were there in the spring, which we felt so fortunate to be there at that time to see those waterfalls. And it's really hard to imagine them drying up. But um, (laughs) (laughs) can you give a suggested itinerary for visiting in the springtime?
1: Absolutely. And of course, with families, you're always going to gauge your itinerary off the capability of of your group. But a few really family-friendly itineraries, the west end of Yosemite Valley is, is tremendously undeveloped. So if you were to park at either Bridalville Falls area, which, of course, is an amazing sight to see in the spring, or at uh, El Capitan Meadow area, so in the west end of the valley. There's a wonderful trail called the Valley Loop Trail, and it actually covers the entire valley floor. Um, but in the west end of the valley, it's particularly wonderful and wild. And when you look on a map, you think, oh, this trail must not be very cool. It looks like it's sort of going along the road, but you really don't notice the road at all. It's very flat, so it makes for a nice, sort of family oriented traveling and it's and you're just getting these you know gorgeous views of the cathedral rocks of el capitan and of course in the springtime the dogwoods are like creating just these arches over that trail and it's it runs on both sides of the river. I you you would want to look at a map of course to see exactly where it is but focusing on kind of that west end of the valley is amazing and then Uh, Naturally, the mist trail is, of course, on everyone's mind when you think of spring in Yosemite. So this is the trail that leaves out of Happy Isles in the far east end of Yosemite Valley. It is the trail that travels alongside Vernal and Nevada Falls. And So even with small children, um, making it to the Vernal Falls Bridge is is highly possible. Um, There's a shuttle bus that comes quite close to that trailhead itself, I highly recommend stopping in the Happy Isles Art and Nature Center, where we run wonderful, engaging family programming. Um, before heading out on your hike, even just to go to the Vernal Falls Bridge and really see the power of that much water moving. That waterfall, of course, does run year-round, Vernal and Nevada Falls, and it's it's that get drenched, totally experience a waterfall kind of hike. And again, since spring is all about the waterfalls, you of course need to take a stroll to Yosemite Falls, which, if you are I think sort of is a recommendation for any itinerary. Once your car is parked, just leave it there and, and walk on foot from where you are or take a shuttle bus. So if you were to park in sort of the central part of Yosemite Valley, that's fairly easy then to either walk or shuttle to Lower Yosemite Falls, which, again, is another bridge you can stand on and get totally blasted and soaked and really understand how much water is falling off these cliffs and have your whole family experience what spring runoff means here. So those, I would say, for the springtime, make it about the waterfalls. And then if you're looking for that little more solitude off those sort of more popular waterfall trails, that west end of Yosemite Valley on the Valley Loop Trail is super prime. And I think any time, especially traveling with families, is just allowing spaciousness so that when Kids need to stop and throw rocks in the water. There's plenty of time for that because really, being still, I think in Yosemite, a lot of people are moving around trying to get that just that right picture. We got to get to this trail, but honestly, if you stand still in pretty much anywhere in Yosemite Valley with a view, your life can be changed. <laughs> you can, you will have an amazing experience. So, kind of balancing out the the bustle of trying to see things with just wow, actually, let's just sit here by this river and look at Brattleville Falls across the valley and just be amazed at where we are.
0: I totally agree with that. And that's why (laughs) I really enjoyed being there for a full week. And we still didn't do everything we wanted to do, but we did most of what we wanted to do and still had time for just what you're saying. Uh, We loved renting bikes and we kept passing by the campsite that is called Housekeeping campsite. And we kept thinking, what does that mean? Is that staff, or is that an actual campsite? So we went over to explore and found that little beach on the Merced River and just hung out there for a little bit, had a little picnic, and it was so delightful. Here we are in this little sandy beach looking at Yosemite Falls and the river rushing by. It was really wonderful. We also did that in Happy Isles in the Fen there was this big rock. We did one of the nature programs, the art oh, great. The art programs, which the kids loved. And then we found this big rock and sat on the rock for a picnic. And then we all took a little snooze.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And I would say if I'm in the business of giving tips here, bringing your picnic. It is once you're in the valley, especially in, in high season kind of times, the acquiring food and lunch can become a really congested experience. So bring the picnic so that you are not bound to having to find a store or a, an outlet to buy, buy food in. Um, it's just going to give you so much more freedom and kind of reduce that stress factor of like, oh my gosh, we're here and we're standing in the line. I don't want to do this. So pack the picnic so that you are free to roam and don't need to sort of return to where you would acquire food. There are of course great options for for getting lunch in the valley, but if you're really looking for that we want to immerse on the trail. We want the low stress experience. Um pack the picnic lunch.
0: <laughs> right. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. lots of snacks. And at Lower and Yosemite Falls. Does that dry up or get to a trickle?
1: It does not run year round. No, in fact right now so we're late September. We had a big winter so it ran surprisingly longer. But no, it is it is usually dried up by August. It's still a gorgeous cliff, of course, but no, the the prime time to see it really is that sort of April into late June is when it's at its most full and gorgeous.
0: Okay. So So that sounds great. And you kept to the valley. Are there other locations on our trip? We went to Wawona as well. Are there other places to see in the springtime that are accessible and, you know, not a big drive? There's lots of accessible places, but I guess I'll focus my commentary on the prime
1: places to be in each season. So we'll get to Wawona, how about? (laughs) Yeah. Should we hit summer next or should we go go in order? Yes, absolutely. Yep. So summer to me in this park, really, it is the prime time to be in the High Sierra. So again, we talked about how Yosemite goes from 2,000 feet in elevation up to 13,000 feet. There is a magnificent part of the park called Tuolumne Meadows that begins at 9,000 feet, and it is a spectacular fairyland of alpine meadows and smooth granite domes and flowing rivers that are so fun to explore in the snow-free time of year with your family. So this is the road that essentially travels east through the park. This is how, when you would, if you were to drive through Yosemite in the summer, you'd drive through Tuolumne Meadows. Stopping at Tanaya Beach is incredible. It's a massive, massive lake with huge domes all around it. That alone could be your day. Um, if you had watercraft with you, paddleboards or even just little floaty things, um, or just people playing in the water on the beach is amazing. Um, if you travel further up the road, um, you kind of enter into what's considered Tuolumne Meadows proper, and you'll see a number of domes just emerging from the landscape. And there's a there's a dome right as you kind of enter Tuolumne Meadows. You, you find it on a map very easily. Um, called Pothole Dome. That's such a fun little ramble to do with a family because it gets you onto that smooth granite. Helps people understand what this place is built of, <laughs> the granite, um, and is just a gorgeous view of the High Sierra. There's a number of wonderful hikes out of Tuolumne Meadows that, of course, any guidebook could point you in the direction of. But I guess I'm thinking of ones that are fun for people with younger children, you could put Gaylor Lakes on your list. That's just a couple mile. It's kind of steep, but it gets you up into some really lovely alpine lakes. And that's kind of near the Tioga Pass entrance station. And then any wander out Lyle Canyon. So Lyle Canyon is this big old glaciated canyon in Tuolumne Meadows and has a beautiful, the Lyle Fork of the Tuolumne River is flowing through it. And it's, One of those places you could just wander for hours along the river, looking up at the high peaks all around you. That's a really fun day hike, actually. And above it, of course, are Mount Lyle. That's the highest point in the park. And there are glaciers on the side of those mountains. And that's, that's a good 10 miles in. That's probably not the average family's day hike length. But if you were to keep going, it actually does make a really wonderful backpack trip up there. And that's when I also think of summer in Yosemite. I think about backpacking trips because it's when... Those trails are opened up free of snow and time to kind of get up high and and move through, through that landscape that's not always as accessible other times of year.
0: So Mount Lyle, can you hike to a glacier 10 miles or there is still a glacier in Yosemite?
1: Well, technically, unfortunately, the Lyle Glacier is no longer considered a glacier because it is not advancing or growing in any way. The uh. M- Mount McClure that is right next to Isle is still considered a proper glacier. But yeah, due to, due to climate change, those are being reduced. But it is a glacier-like <laughs> basin. Absolutely. It's, you know, it, it's an endeavor to get there, but it's absolutely something. If you want to see glaciers in Yosemite, that is where you
0: need to travel to. And what is the distance to get there? It's about 10 miles. One way
1: one way. Mm-hmm. Okay. For a family, it usually makes a better backpacking trip than a, than a day hike.
0: Well, that sounds great. We'll have to get back there in the summer so that we can yeah. explore the High Sierras.
1: If you're looking for that, like, where am I and what is this place all about? Heading to Glacier Point and heading specifically up Sentinel Dome is a walk, I would say the Glacier Point Road that is really only open in the summer months. That is where you want to go. So I want to add that into my <laughs> my summer recommendation. Of okay. Where to get that overview experience of the park. Sentinel Dome hike. Great for families.
0: Okay, great. We actually got super lucky and the Glacier Point Road opened the day we left the valley to go to Wawona. Perfect. And <laughs> we didn't have time to do a hike because we were kind of squeezing in all those things. We hadn't been to Bridal Veil Falls yet and Tunnel mm-hmm. View. And so we did all those things on our way out. We did spend a, a couple of hours up there just because the view is so amazing and walked around up there. But we'll do that hike next time. And of course, yeah. a week later, there was snowstorms and the road was closed again. So we really, <laughs> we really lucked out. We lucked out.
1: <laughs> we were there in early May. Okay, yeah, that's unusual. Usually, you can kind of count on it being open by Memorial Day-ish, but again, depends on the winter, and it definitely this last winter did not open that early. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And so the next season.
1: Yes, so fall. that's That's a toss. I was like, oh, what's my favorite place for the fall? I mean, sort of circling back to Yosemite Valley, it's pretty hard to beat when the broadleaf maples start turning really yellow and the dogwoods start turning their gorgeous, shades of pink. Yosemite Valley is pretty amazing in the fall. And the Merced River gets this really still sort of blackish water coolness that, you know, those of us who are here year-round and sort of summer is such a, a high season, and a busy season, to feel that like coolness of fall arrive to Yosemite Valley and to see all those deciduous trees leave change is so magnificent. The oaks turn a really gold color The valley is pretty amazing in the fall, actually. And again, I I feel like I keep sort of promoting the west end of Yosemite Valley, but it really is some of the more lovely areas to be in to sort of enjoy that change in color. Another... That that I think I would highlight that's fun in the fall. It's really fun, honestly, year-round, this trail. So you'd head out to Mirror Lake, which most people are pointed in the direction of Mirror Lake. It's It's a lake that basically sits sort of below Half Dome in the east end of the valley. But if you go past Mirror Lake, there's a neat trail called the Snow Creek Switchbacks that if you were to take them all the way up, you'd end up on the north rim of the valley and you could actually take it all the way to Tuolumne Meadows. But if you just go up that trail, like 10 switchbacks it's not very far you have to go. You get the most spectacular view of Half Dome, and you can see Clouds Rest. You're essentially looking up this this, this huge canyon um, that's draining down from Tenaya Lake, which I talked about earlier, down into Yosemite Valley. And it, you know, I think some people are intimidated by those steeper trails, like the Yosemite Falls Trail or the Four Mile Trail or Snow Creek Switchbacks, because they think, oh my gosh, it's steep and could be really long. But honestly, just to go a dozen switchbacks up these trails you get such a cool view and then just turn around from there if if the kids are complaining and it's not that fun for anyone you know, at least you're getting kind of that bird's eye view so i'd i'd highlight the same thing for yosemite falls trail or the 4 mile trail which are kind of more in the central part of yosemite valley and fall you know to me is is a more prime time for hiking the valley than summer just cuz it's cooler you know i think thinking about um what direction your trail is on. So the semi Falls Trail is a south-facing trail, so that's going to be much hotter than, say, the Four Mile Trail, which is a north-facing trail. The valley itself runs east and west. The fall, to me, is also about giant sequoia groves, and I'll circle back to those because I think they're totally magnificent in the winter, but there's gorgeous, deciduous understory in the groves that does change amazing colors, the azalea and other shrubs um, that add a really neat layer of color to those groves. And these giant sequoia groves are really precious. They only exist on the western slope of the Sierra Nevada, you know, in a very distinct elevational range, and there are not that many of them. And so going to appreciate these really ancient trees in this sort of their last stand, honestly, you know, it, they're a relic from a, a much sort of wetter, cooler time in the Sierra Nevada. And they are amazing to visit in the fall. And, you know, and I think about it also as a time when the visitation is a little lower to go to a Sequoia Grove late October, early November, you're you're going to avoid sort of the the higher traveling season times and get to really sort of have the place a little more to yourself.
0: When are the colors changing? You know, when is the peak time to see the colors? When does it start and end approximately?
1: You know, it all depends on sort of how quickly it cools. But I would say kind of late September, early October, by about like middle of October is pretty prime for the valley and and the sequoia groves. If again, we can get, you know, a snow or a windstorm that'll sort of wipe them out and it ends up being a short-lived leaf season. But pretty much from you know, like late September into middle October, usually by Halloween, I think of it as like, okay, the kind of colorful time has ended because usually there's a, some sort of bigger storm that comes later in October. But yeah, so kind of those first two weeks in October, I would say, if you're really trying to hit the leaf, the colorful leaf season (laughs) in Yosemite.
0: Just like where we are in the Northeast. Yeah. Is that similar? Yes. Yeah. The time is similar. Well, that sounds amazing. I really want to go back to uh, Mariposa Grove to see that with the colors. And Mirror Lake, that was the very first hike we did the day we arrived and really enjoyed it. And I can just imagine the colors. All right. Well, then the last season is winter.
1: Mm -hmm. Winter, actually my favorite season here. And I I think of Wawona as an amazing place in the winter, also because our little ski area that's inside the park, Badger Pass, ski area um is is proximal to Wawona and it's being in the snow in Yosemite is so amazing and there's a long history of winter sports in Yosemite. So from Badger Pass ski area you can rent cross country skis or you could rent downhill skis or a snowboard. It is a darling little ski resort that even families who have never skied before can have a really unintimidating experience at. And they groom um, the Glacier Point Road, which is an amazing road that leads you out to views above Yosemite Valley and you can ski on it in the winter. And most people aren't going to get that far on it out to like where the really spectacular views are, but it just makes for a really nice sort of winter recreation zone.
0: Well, that sounds amazing. And winter. Yeah, the only time we've ever been to Yellowstone was in the winter. And that was just magical. You know, you wouldn't think to go to Yosemite. Well, I wouldn't. In the winter, but yeah, there's plenty to do, and not many people.
1: Yeah, it is sort of a secret season, and and we can get snowfall. The Yosemite Valley itself is at 4,000 feet, and we can get snowfall there, and that is, of course, like the most breathtaking thing to see snow on the cliffs of Yosemite. I mean, a lot of the sort of famous photographs you see, especially Ansel Adams' photographs, were taken in the winter because of the contrast that gets created by the snow hitting all those ledges on the cliffs, and then coupled with that sort of dark, wet, especially when the grand when it gets wet. You know, you're increasing that the contrast, and it's it is truly amazing. If you are so lucky to be in Yosemite in the winter and get to be in Yosemite Valley, it it is a quite a sight.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine, and I I saw some of those photographs when I visited the gallery. So Yosemite Conservancy offers so many programs. Can you talk about some of those programs? You know, highlight the Yosemite Theater. But then let's talk about some of those custom adventures and things like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So, you know, we have been a partner for Education Enrichment of Visitors with the National Park Service since 1923. So we really have a big part of our mission is helping people understand this place. And our our guides and naturalists are really the best in their field. They are people who've spent a lifetime studying the natural and cultural history of this place and how to best share it with visitors. And we offer outdoor adventures, which are scheduled programs that you can find on YosemiteConservancy.org. They are scheduled. They are on certain topics, everything ranging from geology to backpacking, half-dome to wildflowers, birding, um, basketry. There's, There's a whole range of topics that you can you can take courses in in both the front and backcountry trips. But we find a lot of families, especially because these are the days we're here, they go with our custom adventure program, which is just as it sounds. It's it's hiring a guide who is going to meet you at the times you want and take you where you want to go as well as places you didn't even know you wanted to go because having that insider local knowledge is really going to enhance your trip. And I often recommend to families that if you're going to hire a guide, hire them on the first day because you're going to get you're going to get the most out of it because you'll you'll travel with them for the day, and not only will you get a great sort of overview of the park and understanding, but you can then of course pepper them full of questions and help them plan the rest of your trip. Because <laughs> when I see visitors struggling with Yosemite, it's a big area, and to really like how do we enchain all these things we want to see and not spend the entire day driving? I think a guide can really help you understand geographically the lay of the land and how to kind of arrange the places you want to see in the right order so that you're being really efficient about your drives and, oh, no, that you know it's better to do this and this on the same day versus, like, this thing maybe you, you thought you would want to do together. So I think I can't really speak highly enough about that. And, and I think, you know, especially traveling, again, with families, sometimes, you know, children are just going to, listen and digest information better from someone outside of their family unit. So it's fun to have a guide who's going to kind of help the kids stay engaged and interested in where they are and help you get a better understanding of this place. Because I think there's so many layers of both the human and natural history that as you learn them, you know, the place just comes more and more alive. So that's really the goal of our outdoor and custom adventure program is to help people feel connected couple other programs as well that I I think everyone should enjoy to help enrich their visit so we run a Yosemite Theater um runs April through October 5 to 6 nights a week and these are on a variety of topics of course in a air conditioned and comfortable environment so at the end of a long hiking day enjoying some Yosemite Theater performances can really add in that layer of interpretive understanding, so shows about John Muir, storytelling shows about early, you know, 1850s kind of days. There's, there's a show on Yosemite Search and Rescue, which is, I think, a must-see to understand not only defying feats that go into helping people who've been injured in this park, um, but also preventative search and rescue and how to keep your family safe while they're here. And there's also, of course, Shelton Johnson does his Buffalo Soldiers performance on occasion with us. And we do some other shows on rock climbing. So it's it's a great... You can check out the schedule on YosemiteConservancy.org. Yosemite Theater is a great one in the evenings. And Happy All's Art and Nature Center, which we talked about. Sounds like you did a program out there with your family. And there's both artist-led programs that are for four hours most days of the week in a variety of mediums. And then there's also a lot of children's programming out there. So to me, getting to do art in Yosemite, of course, there's this big tie between art over the, over the decades and, and conservation of land, you know, how else can we sometimes convey the values of these places, but through imagery and through art, but also just for your own wonderment and, and experience to sit in a meadow and take an hour or more to compose a, a painting. And you don't need to know how to paint to take these classes. These are all intended for a wide range of abilities, beginner on through, really to me is getting to see this place with wonderful eyes and taking the time to really create a piece of art that then, of course, becomes your souvenir. So that's a highly recommend, I would
2: say.
0: That's great. I love that. In our packs, we always have a sketch pad. Sometimes we have colored pencils. Sometimes we bring watercolors with us. And so our kids do like to do that. And I always have my camera. (laughs) So that's what I like to do. I like to play around with my camera while they're doing their painting or sketching. Yeah.
1: I think it's so important to create that space for observation because that, especially I think with kids, that's when the kind of like, oh, wow, why is that that way? Or I don't know. I think the curiosity can really build when you're still sometimes in these big magnificent places.
0: And these adventures, the outdoor and the custom adventures, do you sign up for them day of the day before or is this something that you need to sign up for months in advance? When do you register?
1: Yeah, so outdoor adventures, um registration for them opens in December and those are the ones that are on scheduled, you know, dates and weeks. We also do in the springtime a number of just show up drop-in programs, um bird and plant walks that you will find them listed on our website, as well as the Yosemite guide is your your best tool, honestly. When you show up at the gate, you're going to be given a newspaper. A lot of people look at it and think it's not that useful because it has a lot of words on it. But if you open it up, there's a schedule of every program that's being offered in the park. This is a really valuable tool to you. Keep it with you. And it'll talk about not only our things, but the programs being offered by the National Park Service, as well as by Park concessionaire and the Ansel Adams Gallery because there's there's both the things you definitely need to sign up for in advance, but the guide itself actually has the things that that you would not necessarily need an advance sign up for. Custom adventures we can book those within 48 hours, but we recommend people getting in touch with us, you know, a month or at least two weeks before their trip. So that's with a personalized guide who's meeting you where you want to meet on a time frame that that works for your trip. So at least 48 hours notice, and ideally, you know, you're you're thinking about your Yosemite trip a month out, you know, it's so that you can really sort of stack in these these fun enriching things.
0: Can you give an idea of a cost for a custom adventure for a day? Yeah, so
1: custom adventures are around five hundred a day. It's well worth it. Um, you're going to save yourself a lot of time. You also get even in just calling our office to book the trip with our outdoor adventures program manager. You're going to get tremendous insight. Um, I feel like we actually run almost like a trip planning service <laughs> through that desk. When people call in to book their guide, then of course they have all the other questions about all the other days they're going to be out. And we, we give that information out all day long, honestly. So calling the Conservancy office to talk over booking a custom adventure and getting insight into a good itinerary is what we do. So we do also custom backpacking trips, um, which a lot of people do utilize us for as well, as oftentimes the process of getting a wilderness permit and figuring out a backpacking itinerary, especially for people who haven't done it, is daunting. So doing that through our custom program and then also checking out our scheduled backpacking programs through Outdoor Adventures. So All over the high country, we go up Half Dome a number of times in the summer and fall, and that can make it really easy for you. We take care of the permits and the guide. Um, You actually do have to bring your own gear and food, but the rest is all handled.
0: That's great. That makes it a little less intimidating. Yeah. What a great resource. You said that offline you talked about at least a book, but maybe several books that you wanted to mention.
1: Yes, we run bookstores in the National park, Um, in most every, actually every visitor center, you will find a Yosemite Conservancy
0: bookstore.
1: And this is a great place to pick up your books and maps and engaging, reading material about the park for your child, any last minute water bottles, hats, et cetera. But we do have a small publishing company that publishes a few titles a year and a book that's out recently that I think if you're really trying to like get Yosemite, it's a book called The Nature of Yosemite. It's actually a photography book, but it's written by this, the fellow who's a photographer, Rob Hirsch, is also a naturalist. So his observations of the natural world are all laced in with these pictures. So you're really getting like, oh, I never really understood what a glacial erratic was. You know, what is that boulder sitting on this you know big slab of granite? Or oh, I never knew that that's what marmots did for their courtship behavior. And there's these adorable pictures of. Animals. And there's also then within this book essays from these eminent park biologists, park geologists, hydrologists, artists. I think it really, it's a neat book if you're trying to get the flavor of the place. Like, what is this place about? And gain some insight into the natural and cultural history. I recommend The Nature of Yosemite.
0: (laughs) Nice. It kind of sounds like what I'm trying to do with this podcast series, but in book (laughs) and photography form.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All the ways we try and convey this place. And I think that's what inspires me about this place so much is I think there's a variety of ways to see yourself in this landscape. And I think just helping people understand the ways in which they can connect is so important because it's our heritage, these public lands. They belong to all of us and to find your way to them and to find the method in which you're going to connect with them, I think is just so vital.
0: Absolutely. Well, on that note, I have one last question and this might be a challenging one for you. But my question is that we ask all our guests is, can you share either one moment or one experience of yourself in Yosemite that really you know stopped you in your tracks and made you really thankful to get to be there and how special Yosemite is for you, is there something that you can share with us?
1: Gosh, your question brings tears to my eyes because to be honest, there's something almost every day that does that to me here and i I can cite just this last weekend we were we were celebrating a friend's 50th birthday. And we're up in Tolmie Meadows. There's a whole group of us. And we decided I, I love to rock climb. So we climbed Cathedral Peak, which is a lovely, amazing mountain. And being up there, I, I think of a lot of my pivotal experiences here were a lot of it was also who was I with? And just being up on that clean, crisp, white Sierra granite on most gorgeous fall day with this deep blue sky. And and I think I have those experiences literally almost daily here where something stops you in your tracks. All of a sudden, all of those silly little things you spend time in your day doing don't matter. I think in the face of this much time and ancientness, Yosemite conveys this amazing humility, I think, for people to really reflect on their lifespan and their lifetime. You know, when you're around such ancient rock and such a massive scale of geologic time, it's pretty hard to then feel like, oh, I'm so stressed about this meeting I'm going to, what am I going to say to that colleague or, you know, all the things that we busy our minds and our hearts with during our our days. I think Yosemite has this amazing ability to suck that right out of me and sort of put me in my place, honestly, which is just a little flash in the pan is all, you know, and so what does it really matter? I'm just going to sit here and soak up this beauty and absorb the wisdom of this timeless environment. I think it's what's kept me here all these years. It's like those experiences happen to me daily here. So um, thanks for asking that.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, you are very lucky to have those various experiences every single day. Well, mm-hmm. thank you so much for sharing oh, that with you. us and sharing all this great information and again, I'm speaking with Adonia Ripple from the Yosemite Conservancy. Thank you, Adonia. Oh, thank you. Once again, that was Adonia Ripple from Yosemite Conservancy. Now we'll hear from Lisa Cesaro from Yosemite Hospitality, the park concessionaire for Yosemite National Park. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much. Oh, sure. So Yosemite Hospitality offers so many more programs. And I was hoping you could give an overview of some of them. And how long have you been at the park? Gosh, I've been here nine years, actually. Are you also in charge of marketing for Crater Lake?
2: That's correct. So that's a smaller operation that we have up there in Crater Lake National Park. So I do support their marketing also.
0: Okay. So what can you tell us about all the amazing experiences available through Yosemite Hospitality?
2: So I think, you know, with Yosemite National Park, it's a really unique national park in in the fact that it's uh, all seasons. It's got a wide variety of activities and even has a wide variety of overnight accommodations. You know, whether you're doing, you know, a traditional campsite, which is managed through the National Park Service, or you can stay at a Canvas Tent Cabinet, Curry Village, or there's the um, Housekeeping Camp, which is very similar to camping, except you don't need to pitch tent. There's an actual structure there already for you, and you could still, you know, do a campfire. You're right along the Merced River. We have the National Historic Landmark Hotels. We've got the Wawona Hotel near the south entrance. We also operate the Iwani Hotel, which is considered the crown jewel of National Park Lodges. And then, so some other interesting experiences we have, too, in addition to the traditional lodges here in Yosemite Valley, we also operate a a ski hut over at the Glacier Point area during the wintertime. We also operate five High Sierra camps that are off the Tuolumne Meadows corridor and the Tioga Road. So it's a really interesting mix of overnight experiences, too. So whether you want to do something like camping or maybe you want to stay in a suite, you're celebrating your anniversary or just something special like that, Yosemite has that wide variety of experiences, which I find really interesting.
0: Two follow-up questions on that. First, the housekeeping campsite. Why is it called the housekeeping campsite? I kept driving by it, bike riding by it, and thinking, <laughs> housekeeping, that must be for staff. And then finally, one day, we had rented bikes, which I imagine is through Yosemite Hospitality as well. That's right. So I said, let's go cross the street. We had checked out the Heritage Center, the Sierra Club, and crossed the street. And I saw what the structures looked like. And there's that beautiful beach there. So that was fun. But why is it called the housekeeping campsite?
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. So housekeeping camp dates back a long time. It, you know, it's been there for decades. We've got people that come year over year for it. It's, it's definitely near and dear to their hearts. So it's a really special place. And you're right, it's definitely confusing. Some people maybe thought it was for more residents, but it's an overnight, basically a camping style accommodation. And it, it's great. The kind of current design of it right now dates back to the 1950s. There's a store on site, a little laundry mat. But actually the term, you know, housekeeping camp, there was, that was the term back in Yosemite at the day where it's like, basically they were saying like, you can set up housekeeping here. Like this is where you'll sleep and this is where you can, you know, cook. And so that's kind of where that term came from. Oh, okay. And it's, it's just kind of stuck over the years. So it's a really interesting location. It's really beautiful. There's great views too of Half Dome along the, um, housekeeping camp beach area too. So it's a great spot. It is. It was beautiful.
0: And now my next question is the High Sierra Camps. Now, I believe that is only through a lottery system can you get that. And so any tips for that? My husband, Brian, has been trying for that lottery for years. (laughs)
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the High Seer camps are also pretty popular, just like traditional camping in Yosemite. And the reason they do it as a lottery, because the beds are limited, and actually it gets interesting too, some of the the camps have more uh, beds than other camps too. So it's a little tricky. It's not like there's the same amount of accommodations at each camp. So if someone's doing the entire loop of all camps, Do you know what I mean? That kind of just makes it a little different in terms of logistically with those camps for occupancy. So it tends to work pretty well, the lottery. We do have an opportunity at the end of the lottery season in the early spring, they'll open up remaining camp availability. But that's typically, you know, one or two nights at a certain camp. It's not the full loop because the full loop is where it gets more challenging to get into. When I say the full loop, that's staying at all five camps. So, for example, I've been to all five camps myself. I've never done Done it as a loop. I've always done, you know, one or two camps at a time per season. So that would be a great tip. So basically, if you're, especially if you're a local, if you're, you know, near Yosemite, and it's easy for you to go to um, numerous seasons, you could do a few camps at a time, and that's still a great experience and a nice way to experience the high Sierra camps. The high Sierra camps date back to the like the 19. I think it dates back to 1919, the first camp. And it's kind of a great experience when you get there. I mean, you're just pretty much bringing a day pack with some clothing and some essentials for you. But when you get to the high Sierra camps, you check in there. There's actually a collection of different canvas tent cabins, kind of similar to what you would see at Curry Village, but they're multi-units. So, for example, most tent cabins sleep four people and they're twin bed style accommodations. And there's a wood-burning stove in the tent. So, let's say you and a friend, you know, book into a high Sierra camp. The most likely a funky with two others because they fill up the the cabins based on like a single use of a bed, not necessarily. You don't rent out that whole cabin yourself, if that makes sense. They try to maximize it with all four spaces. And then you'll get there. You have a um, group dinner, which is lovely. It's kind of family style, so it gives you a really good opportunity to talk to the other hikers. And then the next morning, they also serve a family style um, hearty breakfast. So it's great. So versus traditional backpacking where you're, you know, bringing in cooking supplies and, you know, that weighs you down a lot more, with the High Sierra camps, you can definitely travel a lot lighter. And so they're pretty popular and they're in beautiful settings too. The High Sierra camps are at Vogelsang, Glenallen, Sunrise, and May Lake and they're just great. I highly recommend them.
0: That sounds like a great option. And what kind of hiking distances are we talking about? What levels like would it make for a good family trip for a first backpacking experience or it's probably a little too advanced?
2: (laughs) It depends what um, areas. So some of the hikes are a little bit more challenging. One of the things that you'll find is we actually have most bed spaces available at Merced Lake. And now Merced Lake is the most hardest camp to get into in terms of distance. Whether you access it from Yosemite Valley or Tuolumne, that camp is the furthest to get to. So we tend to see that camp having more space available. But it's actually, you know, for families with older children, I I think it's great. We've actually seen families do that together. You can do self-guided where you're just hiking on your own. We also have some guided trips with park rangers. And then you can even do it on a saddle. So you can go out there on a mule too. So there's actually a couple different ways to experience those camps also. And they range, you know, some of the camps are only a two-mile distance to get to. And then other ones can be as far as 14 miles, depending on where you start and in the loop that you book into. But the closest camp to actually access from the road would be the May Lake. It's uh, just about a two-mile hike to get to that camp. Okay, great. What other offerings would you like to highlight? I think we've covered the lodging pretty well, but in addition to the lodging – The activities are really diverse, but we do everything we've got up Yosemite Mountain School. Two bike rental stands here. They're typically open spring through early fall, and one is at Curry Village. The other one is at Yosemite Valley Lodge. We also have a seasonal raft stand at Curry Village, and the rafting trip is really popular. It's kind of more of a float, though. It's pretty pretty gentle. You start at the Stoneman Bridge in Yosemite Valley, and it's a three-mile float trip down the Merced River. And then there's a shuttle that actually picks you in your raft up at the end of the trip. So that's really popular for families and visitors because you get some really fantastic views along the way. And that is a very seasonal operations dependent on snow, water temperature. There's a lot of variables with that. And it's typically open, though, I would say from about like May to July is a typical season or June to August, depending on um, the snowpack and the the year itself.
0: Do you just show up like a bike rental? Do you just show up there or is that something that you need to plan ahead and reserve well before your trip?
2: You just show up. But if you're going to be here multi-days, I would always recommend going to the raft on your first day of arrival. Because what they can do is they can actually book you um, either in for that day or the next day. But they do not do like advanced reservations, if that makes sense. They just, you know, manage it first come first serve with park visitors. And there is a limited raft capacity that we're allowed to use. So it's 100 rafts a day that the concessionaire could rent for the day. So that's why sometimes it does sell out. It is a lot of fun. You get spectacular views that you can only see from the river. Some other interesting activities that we offer in the summertime, we have these open-air valley floor tours. It's a two-hour guided tour of Yosemite Valley. It's managed by a national park interpretive rangers. So you have, you know, the ranger at the head of the tram talking about, you know, whether it's talking about rock climbing, just geology in Yosemite, the wildlife, just really interesting historic stories. Just so it's a great activity, especially for first-time visitors that want to learn about the park. And then obviously it's on an open-air tram too, so you get the great views and good photo opportunities. And it also will make a stop over at the iconic tunnel view as well. So that's really popular. And that's actually year-round Tour. So in the winter, in the cooler months, we also offer it via motor coach bus. So you're still getting that same, you know, interpretive tour and you're still seeing those great sites, but you're in more of a comfortable vehicle during the uh, the colder weather. So that's really popular. And we have other tours that we do seasonal too. We'll do a, like a Glacier Point tour and a, what we call a grand tour that goes from Yosemite Valley all the way down to the south entrance to see the Mariposa Grove of giant sequoias. And then it'll make a stop for lunch at the Wawona Hotel and then up to Glacier Point and then back down to Yosemite Valley. So that's a really popular tour, too. One thing that's unique with our operations in Yosemite is we're a concessionaire here that actually has a pretty robust, what we call interpretive programs, to really support a lot of the ranger programs that you're already experiencing in the park so things we do is we'll do like evening naturalist strolls. We'll do a Starry Night Skies program where visitors can, you know, go on walks and actually learn about the, you know, constellations and enjoy that beautiful dark night sky that we have in Yosemite. And we also do a, a Starry Night Skies program up at Glacier Point, too, in the uh, in the summer and the early fall. And so those are just a highlight of some of the programs that they do. They also do a historic hotel tour of the Iwani that's really popular. It's about an hour long, and it talks about all the, you know, interesting People that have stayed there, you know, the reason why that hotel was built, it talks about its architecture and its design. So that's really, you know, something that we're really proud of. We have a great team that um, offers those programs. We also have some children programs, too, through that.
0: We took advantage of several of those, and actually, it was always the same person. Oh, wow. (laughs) I don't recall his last name, but his first name is Nate. Oh, I know Nate. He's great. He was fantastic. We did the Starry Night Sky program, and then we did the Fireside Storytelling at the Awani. He played the guitar and sang songs. And then I also did the Naturalist tour at the Awani with him as well, and... He was a great great. storyteller. Yeah. Excellent. What
2: time of year were you here for that? May, early May. You were just here recently then. Yes, we
0: were. It was fantastic. We got, this is (laughs) going to sound repetitive to people who listen to all of our episodes, but we were there. We had like this beautiful spring weather, 70 degrees in between snowstorms. So
2: (laughs) wonderful. we really loved it. Everything was starting to get green. And yeah, that's a beautiful time to be here too. It was great. Yeah.
0: We've talked a few times about the winter activities, but I see on the list on your website that you have, in addition to skiing and snowboarding, there's also ice skating and snow tubing as well.
2: Absolutely. I mean, winter is definitely considered the least busiest seasons in Yosemite. So for those people that really want to come here and have You know, that sense of solitude and just having a really unique experience in Yosemite. I highly recommend coming in the winter. And the great thing about visiting in the winter, too, our two primary hotels are open year-round, the Iwani and Yosemite Valley Lodge. And then Curry Village stays open um, during the weekends in winter and on the holidays, too. So you still have a lot of overnight accommodations. And you'll also find, as an insider tip, you'll find better rates in the winter, too. So if you're looking for more of a budget-friendly Yosemite experience, it's a really good time to come. Nice. But they're such great activities. I mean, if you think of one of them being the ice skating, it actually is very historic for Yosemite winter activity. It started in 1928 with the Yosemite Winter Club. They flooded a parking lot there over at Curry Village. And so what we use now is we have what's known as a seasonal ice rink where we, you know, put it up in the um, fall and then actually take it down. And it's actually at the location where a lot of the yards buses park. And there's a, it's a parking area just adjacent to the registration for Curry Village, that's where the ice skating rink is, and it actually commands a spectacular view of Half Dome, too. So it's really popular, it's good for families, and that's typically run um, about mid-November to early March is the season for that. And then if you want to experience more winter sports, we have what is known as the Badger Pass Ski Area, and that opened in the 1930s, it's the oldest ski area in California, so it's got an interesting history to it. It's a place that's great for families, for people that want to learn how to ski and snowboard. We have great lesson programs, really affordable lift tickets. Um, but we also have world-class cross-country skiing from the Badger Pass Ski Area. You can go all the way out to Glacier Point, spend the night at our hut. There's so many different trails that are groomed there for cross-country skiing and even backcountry skiing. So it's a really phenomenal experience. And I highly recommend that. We also do lessons. So if it's someone that hasn't tried cross-country skiing and wants to give it a try. We have a, a nice program that's managed through the um, Nordic Center, actually through our team at the Yosemite Mountaineering School. They run all the Nordic operations during the winter time. So that's something I would highly recommend experiencing. We also have a little snow tubing hill that's good for kids to enjoy the snow if they're not skiers or just want a break from skiing. And then one other thing we do in the off-season in the fall and winter, we also have some food and wine events at the Iwani Hotel. We do a wine tasting program called Vintners Holidays. And we have a chef's program where we bring chefs from around the country to do like cooking demonstrations and then you enjoy their wonderful food. That's in the January and February months. And then you may have heard of a really unique event called the Bracebridge Dinner. It's a historic event here in Yosemite. It actually started when the hotel opened in 1927 over at the Iwani. And it's a Christmas pageant dinner. It's a seven course meal with beautiful singing, elaborate show. It's kind of like a really Really um, kind of fun throwback, you know, type of experience to have. It really puts you in the holiday spirit. It's quite beautiful. And that happens mid-December leading up to the Christmas holiday. Nice. So that's a quick overview of winter. It's got a wide variety of activities. And I think a lot of people just, you know, are so used to the typical hiking, climbing, camping experience of the summer, whereas this would give you a totally different winter experience for Yosemite.
0: Yes, I'm definitely putting that on my bucket list. That sounds amazing. And you talked about the Glacier Point Ski Hut. Is that an overnight accommodation? What is that?
2: It is. And so what that is, is most people are probably familiar maybe with the Glacier Point area. There's an actual lodge-looking gift shop in the summer season. So what happens is when that closes in the fall, they transition that actually to the ski hut. So it's like kind of dormitory style accommodations where there's, you know, the single beds and then there's a really nice campfire stove. And then there's a a hut keeper that manages it. And then they serve, you know, your breakfast and lunch or excuse me, your breakfast and dinner. And then you could do like a sack lunch during your actually ski in and ski out. But it's a great experience. so kind of like a similar vibe to what you would experience at the high Sierra camps. But, you know, in the winter season and focused on that cross-country skiing element. There's nothing like waking up at Glacier Point in winter watching the sunrise. It's it's stunning. It's there's it's peaceful, and you, you get a view that is just spectacular. Wow, that sounds incredible. And you book that similar to you would book the other lodges. They don't have that on the lottery system, the Glacier Point Ski Hut, so that you would just book on our website, or you can call our reservations team for that, too.
0: Okay, great. That sounds amazing. Well, I definitely am putting... Winter in Yosemite on my bucket list, for sure. So Lisa, can you share an experience or moment, something that just made you feel how lucky you are to be able to work in Yosemite National Park?
2: A lot of people even ask me that, like, or, you know, they'll say, what's your favorite season? Or, you know, does it get old living in Yosemite? You know, I've been here nine years now, and I will say that having the experience to be here year round and, you know, just the simple things of waking up in the morning, going on a walk with my dog You get to see Yosemite with its range of light and the the drama that unfolds here if there's a storm. It's so spectacular, and I just feel really fortunate to be able to enjoy this place day in and day out and also be able to, you know, work in this environment and talking to people about traveling to Yosemite. I feel really fortunate, too, and sharing my personal experiences and having them have a, you know, a great trip to Yosemite. It's It's really important to me, so it's something I enjoy
0: sounds wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I really appreciate it. And I'm speaking with Lisa Cesaro, the Regional Marketing Director for Yosemite Hospitality. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. You may find links to resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. Send us your stories, tips, or comments to hello at everybody's nps.com you can write us a message or even record a short voice memo on your phone and then attach it to the email you may be featured on an upcoming episode again the email is hello at everybody's nps.com. subscribe for free to everybody's national parks on apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app If you like the show, become a patron. Just click on support our show on our homepage, everybodysnationalparks.com. We also appreciate if you write a review, give us a five-star rating, and tell your friends. This helps more people find us. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting, so please tag us at hashtag everybody's national parks. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.